0: The Holy Spirit is a, is a flowing river. The Holy Spirit is not static. Please know in spirit that there's a difference between a lake and a river. Lakes are static. Lakes have still water. Lakes have water that do not move. There's no water that flows in and there's no water that flows out. But the water of a river... Is alive it's living living water living water is in a river and it flows and it moves and it also takes junk that may have come in and pushes it out into the ocean to the bottom of the sea a lake it might just float there forever and ever but a river will take pollution and just push it out into the ocean and let it fall to the bottom of the sea. Where our sins are forever. The Holy Spirit is like a river. It is moving. It is flowing. He is moving. He is flowing. Yeah. And what we see in the river, a lake may look the same yesterday and today, but a river is, is, is flowing. And it may just appear with the currents a little different one day and a little different another day. So the Holy Spirit is like a river, and we at Mishkan David, we want to flow with the river of the Holy Spirit. We here, and may we be here, be a river and not a lake. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lift up this word to you, Lord God. Um, I'm going to speak about the the gift of tongues. Uh, The reason I'm speaking about it, I might be a little overly honest. Um, I know there's concerns that were expressed Um, by several people. And considering the size of our congregation, a fairly large percentage of concern expressed. So I want to ground everybody. And I want to unify everybody. I I want to share one thing that we put together here at Mishkan David, a list of uh, the tenets of our faith. And we presented that uh, 6 months ago 8 months ago whenever it was and it spoke about the things that are important it spoke it spoke about who god is who yeshua is who salvation is what salvation is it spoke about israel because that's very important to us it spoke about jew and gentile together spoke about the things that we consider the top priorities of our faith the things that really bind us together what it did not speak about is the gift of tongues. Why? Because there are different people that have different backgrounds that have different interpretations of what this thing is or it is not. Let me put it this way. If you step into a Pentecostal church, you should know what you're getting into. And if you don't like the gift of tongues, well, you might be in the wrong place. And if you are uh, somebody that appreciates and enjoys the gift of tongues, if you step into a more conservative Christian denomination where they where they're not very expressive and they don't do it, well, you might be in the wrong place. You might be in the wrong place. In this place, we are a mixed multitude. Just like when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it says they came out of Egypt with a mixed multitude. And we have people from so many different backgrounds that come into a Messianic Jewish expression. We have Jews. We have Jews that were more Orthodox, Jews that are more Reform. We have Christians that were more Pentecostal. We have Christians that were more conservative. And here we are, together, together, and I say that our diversity in that is a strength and not a weakness. Amen. And you will never be forced to be one thing or another. We documented what we, say is what we felt is important to us to unify as a body. And we did not put in, well, I think the gift of tongues is this or that. Why? Because we allow different people to have their own, be in their own place with it. But remember, the Holy Spirit is living water and a river. And your interpretation today, you know, the Holy Spirit can lift you up and smack you down anytime he wants. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force things upon you. But if he wants you to know something, he has a way of getting it into you. So I want to talk about the gift of tongues, what it is, what it isn't, etc. At Mishkan David, I'm going to be very, very honest. Yes, honey. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to be honest about various things. I'm going to be honest even where there is dissent, but I'm going to unify us. I'm going to attempt to unify us. Because there's one thing that the gift of tongues says in 1 Corinthians 14, that it is meant to be edifying, edifying. Edifying, And I pray because I believe that the Holy Spirit has a unique expression for us at Mishkan David. A beautiful expression of holiness at Mishkan David. That's not what you experienced at a Pentecostal church. That's not what you experienced at the conservative church that you were at. That's unique and holy and beautiful and today for us. And let's unify for what God has for us Today knowing that he's a flowing river so let's start uh the first thing i want to do is dispel a few myths let's just knock this out immediately a couple of myths we're gonna we're gonna get rid of if you do not speak in tongues you do not have the ruach hakodesh, the holy spirit anybody ever hear that one if you do not speak in tongues you're not saved has anybody ever been told that Susie was once taken on an hour-long ride in North Carolina for somebody trying to get her to speak in tongues for an, for an hour, telling her she didn't have enough faith because it wasn't happening. So if you were told that you do, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Ruach HaKodesh, or you are not immersed in the Holy Spirit, that is false. Let's end that right now. And there's biblical proof to that. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, Are all not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. I mean, do the workers of miracles have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do the healers have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do the ones who have tongues have the Holy Spirit? The ones that interpret? All of these people have the Holy Spirit, but not everybody does everything. This is absolutely clear in the scripture. Not every spiritual gift has been, every gift has been given to every single person in the body. So to say that one person must have this gift in order to be, in order to have the Holy Spirit or as evidence is absolutely false. And it dismisses the fact that the Holy Spirit is living water, is a river, because the gift you have today may be different from the gifts you have tomorrow because he's always giving. So who's to say if you don't have it today, you don't have the Holy Spirit, but you may get it tomorrow. And God is in all time at the same time. So let's just put that aside. That is false. Next myth. Speaking in tongues is something that only Pentecostal Christians do. That is false. It is a biblical concept. There is different interpretations on what it is, but it is biblical. And if it is biblical, it cannot be relegated to a denomination. Cannot be. I'll, and there are many things in the Pentecostal church that I, I you know, when I look at it, I don't want to be um, offense, offensive to anybody, but sometimes I see manifest manifestations in, in, in a Pentecostally type of church. And I'm like, you know, what spirit is really behind this? You know, like I've seen videos of like a pastor with a flourish I'm not kidding. And the whole place, whoom, like bowling pins and starts to, and I I don't want to make fun of it, but I have to wonder, like, what spirit is operating here? I I don't know. And let me put it, let me put it this way. Here's another person, more personal example. I have laid my hands on many people at Mishkan David in my almost seven years of being a rabbi. Many times have we brought people to the front. Many times have I laid my hands on people's heads. And we have people that are from environments that you're used to falling down every week. Not once, not once did people get slain in the spirit under my hand. And it's not a, it's not a lack of power. It's not a lack of anointing. It's just the Holy Spirit hasn't operated that way in this place. We're not a Pentecostal church. And if we have an expression of tongues, it doesn't mean we're a Pentecostal church. It means God has an expression of the Holy Spirit for us. For us. So speaking in tongues is just a Pentecostal thing is false. Speaking in tongues is demonic, false. I'll tell you what is demonic, dividing over this issue. I'll tell you what is demonic, dividing over this issue. Let's work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and not be worried about if somebody speaks in tongues, if that's not cool to you. And if you speak in tongues, let's not worry so much about those who don't. It's the same thing about expressiveness. I want everybody here to feel free to be expressive in the worship and free to sit and receive. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman And we're not going to force anything upon you. So the the speaking in tongues is not demonic, but dividing over it is. That I guarantee. That's the ploy of Satan, to divide us over unimportant things. Not that it's not important, but less weighty than love and unity And the final myth that I want to say is speaking in tongues was exclusively for the first century, but that gift has since ceased. That is false. I mean, Joel 2, I think it is, when it talks about the prophecy is going to be poured out on young, old sons, daughters. Left, that's the end times. That's for the future. That's for the future. I don't see anywhere where it's – I understand that maybe it was for evangelical purposes, but I don't see anywhere where it's for a time and then stop. That is an assumption. So let's move forward. So what is the gift of tongues anyway? You know, we tend to like think it's one thing because it's a certain expression, and like, okay, I guess that's it. But let's 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 take a look at actually what the gift of tongues is. Well, there are two primary explanations of the gift of tongues from the Bible. Now we know that the gift of tongues is in the Bible, um, but when. Folks that translate the Bible or they, they try to assess what it means, there's two conclusions as far as what the gifts of tongues actually is. The first one is the supernatural ability to speak in a human language, otherwise unknown to the speaker. That is the first translation. It's as if, it, look, I tried for like over a year to learn Spanish <laughs> by using an app, Duolingo. And I got to a level of success. But imagine if like, you know, like in the Matrix when he like put a helmet on and he knew Kung Fu. Imagine if, if the Holy Spirit downloaded it into me. And I was able to speak fluent Spanish even if I didn't even know what I was talking about. And Spanish people thought I was just absolutely fluent in it. Well, that's the one explanation. That that is what happened. That that is the gift of tongues in the Bible. The second explanation is that it's the supernatural ability to speak in a language that is unintelligible to any human. Unintelligible to any human. That's often what you hear these days, but can be supernaturally interpreted. In other words, it's something that comes out of your mouth. It is not a human language per se. May or may not be. Nobody understands it unless there is a supernatural ability to interpret it. Without the supernatural ability, it's going to sound like a, a, a clanging gong. It's going to sound like, like Paul said, like a bugle with an indistinct sound. It's, it's not going to make sense, but with interpretation, it, it's, it's given its meaning. Those are the two different explanations of what the gift of tongues are. So the, one, the first one, that it is a, it's the supernatural ability to speak a human language... Finds its support primarily in Acts 2, which is, the, which is the story of Pentecost, or in Hebrew, the holiday of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which was Pentecost. Um, which was Pentecost. And just reading from Acts 2, there appeared to them, this is the believers, tongues as of fire, distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. The tongues of fire rested on the believers and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Well, I guess that can be confusing. What is that? What does that mean? But it continues where the people around were saying, how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Well, that's pretty clear. They were hearing it Whatever was being said, they were hearing it themselves in their own language. So that's the proof text for the folks that say that's what it is. It's the ability to speak Hindu when you never learned Hindu before. And it also, this explanation has backing from Jewish tradition. Because Pentecost was, is the Hebrew holiday, the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, which commemorates the giving of the Torah. At Mount Sinai. And here is some Jewish writings from the Talmud on the Mount Sinai experience. This is from the Talmud, the Jewish explanations of Torah. God's voice, as it was uttered, split into 70 voices into 70 tongues so that all the nations would understand. This is in Jewish tradition about what happened at Sinai, that God's voice split into tongues so everybody would hear it in their own language. And that's very consistent with what happened at Shavuot, which has been coined Pentecost. There's a book called the Mishra Midrash Says, the Jewish book, and it it elaborates more. It says, quoted from the book, in the occasion of the giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard Hashem's voice, but actually saw the sound waves as they emerged from Hashem's mouth, they visualized them as a fiery substance. So there is an amazing connection between the Jewish tradition of what happened at Mount Sinai which is celebrated in the holiday of Shavuot, and Pentecost, which is the holiday of Shavuot. Pentecost wasn't just a thing. Pentecost is the Jewish holiday of Shavuot. And there's a connection where people heard God's voice in their own language. There's a tradition around that. So very consistent. The unintelligible tongues finds its backing in 1 Corinthians 14. Because it says in verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands. Well, that doesn't sound like a foreign language. If I'm speaking in Spanish, somebody's going to understand. And if I got the ability to speak in Spanish, what, is it, what does it mean? I'm not talking to men. I should be talking to men. And why do I need to talk to God only in Spanish? It doesn't, make, it doesn't exactly make sense. It seems like something else might be going on here. Uh, if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known? In other words, nobody knows what you're saying. So this is proof and support for the unintelligible tongue. Therefore, if ungifted or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are mad? Let me put it this way. If I spoke to you in Spanish and and an unbeliever was here, they wouldn't think I was crazy. They would think I spoke Spanish. So there's something different. There seems to be something else. Even if the Pentecost experience was so people can hear, there seems to be something else with this gift that manifested itself in congregational use that it seems to be above and beyond just the ability to speak in a language. There's something different. So this is where the 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 explanation that is unintelligible tongues finds its root. So the conclusion, oh, let me just continue. It also says back to the Pentecost that these people are not drunk. The people thought, the people who witnessed the people speaking in Greek and Hindu and uh, Swahili, you know, thought they were drunk. Well, if, if I was speaking again in Spanish, would you think I was drunk? I, I don't think so. It's maybe something else. And for me, I'm not saying this is, ex- this is absolutely true, but this is how my brain works. When I see something in the New Testament... And the, the essence of it, or the words of it, very, are very similar to something in the Old Testament. I think it's connected. And when I say, when I see these men are, drunk, are not drunk as you supposed, I remember the words of Hannah, when she was just deeply um, hurt in her heart, and was praying, and Eli, the priest, said, you're drunk. And she essentially said, I'm not drunk as you suppose. I'm grieved in my heart. Was she speaking in tongues? I, I see a connection between the two stories. That's just where my brain works. So the conclusion is that both interpretations are scripturally valid. You may lean one way or you may lean the other way, but they both have a solid foundation in the scripture. Okay? So moving forward. Now, even if the Pentecost experience was to speak in other languages, there seems to be, as was read, a congregational use for it. Over and above, being on the street and the Holy Spirit falls on you and you get that gift or whatever happened there, there seemed to be a congregational use for it, and Paul had to address it in detail because it was used in a disorderly fashion. So he had to, in his letter, bring some order and some structure to this. So here's the congregational uses. Now, I see in 1 Corinthians 14 two employments of this gift. And moving forward, by the way, I'm primarily going to be speaking of the unintelligible types of tongues um, because I know that's the one that's causing people to get a little upset. Um, I see two employments of this gift, and I call it vertical and horizontal. And let me explain. There is an employment of the gift of tongues that has nothing to do with anybody, but is personal, and it is you speaking or praying or singing to God. And it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's not meant for you. It's not meant to encourage you or edify you. It's just between the worshiper and God. Like if I'm raising my hands and singing hallelujah, that's between me and God. Whether you're sitting in your seat or you're joining, it doesn't matter. It's between me and God. Uh, what's the proof of this? Uh, it says for, in verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So it's vertical. Vertical. So you're speaking to God. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And this is meaningful to me, and it should be meaningful to everyone. Uh, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's between you. It's, if I'm praying, I'm edifying myself. If I'm speaking in a tongue to God, it's, it's for me. It's my relationship with God. If I pray in a tongue, and this is meaningful to me, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. How many people's minds get in the way of your prayers? Like, I am a victim of this very often. Because I'm like, dear Lord, won't you? Oh, I really got to do that shopping after work. Or dear Lord, I just pray for this and that and this. Oh yeah, doesn't Susie need me to get her some bananas? <laughs> or is it just me that has a wandering mind? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If there is a way that my mind can get completely out of the way, but my spirit is praying to God, I want that. And everybody should want that. We should all want that. That is very, very powerful. That's where you hear the term a prayer language. Now, you don't, hear this, you don't see the term a prayer language in the scripture. But that's where it comes from. I will pray with the Spirit but I will pray with my mind. That's when I pray with my mind, I know what I'm saying. I pray with my spirit. I, my, my, it says my mind is useless in one place. I should have put that up there. That I, it, my mind doesn't even know what I'm saying, but I'm speaking to God, or I'm singing in the spirit. I will sing. This is where people sing in tongues, but it's just between them and God. So there's an employment of this gift that is personal, that is between the worshiper and God. We'll see that here. We'll see that when I, I, I ask people to pray before I give a word. Some people may pray in tongues. That's, be, that's between them and God. During the praise and worship, every now and again, you may just hear some tongues rise up, rise up, rise up. That's between them and God. It's be, nothing to do with anybody. It's between them and God. Now the horizontal usage, this is where Paul needs to, needed to come and put a little bit of grounding and structure to it. And every place that you see in 1 Corinthians 14 that speaks about speaking in tongues over a congregation or over people, not this way, but that way, he wants to make sure it's orderly and it's not disorderly. And every place you see it, he's, he's correcting this, this church to keep it orderly. And here's what he says. Greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. So the congregation may receive edifying. And I will always highlight edifying. May everything we do be for the edification of this body. Yes. Period. Period. May it be for the edification of this body. So he's saying, if I go to Val and I go, shah, ba ba but nobody interprets, I don't know what I'm saying. Val doesn't know what I'm saying, and there's nobody in this place that knows what I'm saying. It is useless what I just did. Useless. So let there be interpretation. Paul's very, very clear about that when you're going horizontally with speaking in tongues. If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you? That's what he's saying. Like what's the value in it? Unless I speak by revelation, in other words, what you understand, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching, if I just come to you with tongues and nobody understands, you don't understand, what's the value? Okay, that's what Paul is saying. That's why he says multiple places, multiple places, let anyone who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Another place, if anyone speaks in a tongue, one must interpret. This is horizontal. It has nothing to do with talking to God. There does not seem to be a limit to how you talk to God in a a prayer language or a tongue. But if you're talking to others, there should be some structure and some interpretation around it. So here's the limitations he puts around it. First of all, let all things done for what? Edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, each in turn. One must interpret. If there's no interpreter, he must be silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God So let him be silent, or let's just keep it vertical, or just keep it vertical. If there's no I'm, I'm going to finish this before I take any questions. Let me just continue to just roll with this. Um, so that, those are the rules. and by the way, and I, you may disagree with this many times, when I see what Paul wrote in his writings to his churches, I don't always see that um, as rule for every single church for all time. I can't imagine if I was away and wrote a letter to Mishkan David and every other congregation saw that letter and made a, a doctrine and a rule and a, and a, and a, and a, around it. He was dealing with a specific issue that was specific to this church. But the spirit of what he's saying is let's, let's make sure it's edifying, let's make sure it's orderly, and let's make sure it's edifying. And if you're gonna speak it over the people, let's make sure people know what you're talking about. Okay? So, One of the questions I get is, what about Messianic Judaism? What is the official stance of Messianic Judaism when it comes to speaking in tongues? You know, people say that I came out of a church, I came into Messianic Judaism, I didn't know that I would experience that here. So I'm going to give a very concrete answer to this. There are three primary Messianic Jewish organizations. Three primary Messianic Jewish organizations organizations. There is the IAMCS, the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. Mishkan David rolls up into there. We are part of that organization. There is Tikkun, and there is the UMJC, the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations. These are the three primary Groupings of Messianic Jewish congregations in the world, not just in America, in the world. What are their stances on the on speaking in tongues? If you want to know what Messianic Judaism feels about tongues, we should find out what the overarching organizations feel about speaking in tongues. IAMCS, what, re, what we roll up into? Yes. They believe in speaking in tongues. They encourage speaking in tongues. Susie and I have been to their conferences. The steering committee members will speak in tongues and pray in tongues over a full conference. They'll speak in tongues in prayer meetings. Um, Susie and I have been to congregations where the rabbis will take us in the back and just pray in tongues over us. So this, so the organization we belong to, yes, they believe in speaking in tongues. And I'm talking about the unintelligible Tongues coon, not only do they believe in speaking in tongues, they doctrinally want every congregation to speak in tongues. They are very, very strong on making sure and wanting all the spiritual gifts to be manifested in their congregations. Speaking uh, prophecies and words of knowledge, they really want to encourage and foster all these spiritual gifts within their congregations. That's very, very strong for them. Other, con- other groups, even the IAMCS, because they're not very heavy-handed in how they operate and how they, how they govern, they will allow rabbis to you know, pretty much do what we want. And yes, there are some rabbis within the IAMCS that do not speak in tongues and do not want it within their congregations. There are rabbis in the IAMCS that do speak in tongues but still don't want it in their congregations because they know people are spooked by it. So you get a differing rabbi rabbi by rabbi. You may get differing answers. But IAMCS as an organization, yes, they support it. Yes, they believe in it. Takun, on the other hand, they will make sure every single congregation of theirs do speak in tongues. Worldwide. UMJC. Yes, also, but I'll put that one in yellow instead of green, because most of their congregations are very, very conservative. And most congregations would say no, but there are absol- they, they, they agree with it doctrinally, but most of them, or a, or a good percentage of them, would not want it in the congregation. They're much more conservative. But there are UMJC congregations that do speak in tongues and are free with it. Um, but doctrinally, as an organization, yes. So the the definitive answer... Do Messianic Jews speak in tongues? Do Messianic congregations speak in tongues? Do Messianic Jewish organizations speak in tongues? The definitive answer is yes. End of discussion. Messianic Jewish notables that speak in tongues. Paul Wilbur speaks in tongues. Jonathan Kahn speaks in tongues. Jonathan Burness from Jewish Voice speaks in tongues. Other Jewish notables that you may not know, but Susie and I know, Rabbi Jeff Foreman very actively speaks in tongues. He has a thriving, large congregation in Toronto that is very, very Jewish, and he's very open in speaking in tongues. Like I said, when he's speaking at conferences, he spoke in tongues over us. He's always encouraging it. Uh, Rabbi Hyland Slobakin is one of our dearest friends. Here he is with his wife, Rita, out in Seattle, always praying for his congregation to speak in tongues. Um, Rabbi Dan Juster used to be the president of the UMJC. Now he's the president of Tikkun. Very well-respected scholar. One of the authors of the Tree of Life Bible. Speaks in tongues. And I can go on and on and on of notable Messianic rabbis that speak in tongues. I say this to encourage those here that are spooked by it. And I say this to encourage those here that are like, is this what Messianic, I don't know if I came into Messianic Judaism for this. I want you to know that Messianic Judaism supports speaking in the unintelligible tongues. You'll see it expressed differently within congregations how much it's allowed and how little or whatever, but as organizations, they support it. So, what about me? Dude says, Rabbi Brian, speak in tongues. (laughs) it didn't work out (laughs) Uh, it didn't work out, I tried to make you laugh what what does Rabbi Brian think of speaking in tongues, do I speak in tongues Um, well, I'll just be honest with you, that um, for the majority of my uh, believing life of um, 23 years um I have not. Uh, Over the past year or two, I've been uh, looking into it a lot more, and I've been expressing myself in tongues, in unintelligible tongues. Uh, I'll often find myself praying in tongues in the car, uh, at work when I'm fasting. Uh, At work, I try to, between the meetings, I try to keep myself a little active so I'm not sitting all day, and I'll just kind of walk around the place, and I find myself Speaking in tongues, um, I've never been released to do it over the microphone because um, I know how some people feel about it, and I don't want to spook anybody, and that's just me. But I do speak in unintelligible tongues in my quiet times, so I do. So what about our elders at Mishkan David? Now remember, I'm just going to be brutally raw with you, okay? I'm just going to be raw. Now the elders will come before you, with a unified front. We're unified. But individually, we have differing opinions. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm just not ashamed to admit it. And I'm going to be brutally honest. So here are some quotes from some of our elders. Not every elder. And I left the names off to protect the innocent. <laughs> but here are some quotes, or close to their quotes. I crave it. When I need urgent prayer, I'm going to the ones with that gift. Another elder. I am very convinced that the gibberish we hear is not really tongues. I'm just going to be honest of the diversity of thought we have in our eldership. Tongues used to make me uncomfortable, but not anymore. I pray in tongues all day long and quietly throughout every service. When I hear tongues, I feel sick to my stomach. I personally don't speak in tongues, but we should not quench the spirit. Do you see the diversity of thought? And it's okay it's okay to have a diversity of thought. But when you have a diversity of thought, what is the Mishkan official stance for speaking in tongues? And here is the official Mishkan stance. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But in all things, all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. That's the Bible. We will not forbid speaking in tongues But in all things, it must be done properly and orderly. Let our goal for those who speak in tongues, let our goal always be for the edification of this body. Not the edification of the church you came out of. We're not looking to emulate what you came out of. Let it be for the edification of this body. For the horizontal tongues, meaning the ones that were speaking over people rather than just people praising God through it, if we will seek an interpretation, and if we don't have interpreters here, if it just doesn't happen, we'll probably ask you to just keep it between you and God. I trust God will provide. If it becomes disorderly, we will correct it. For those who speak in tongues and for those who don't speak in tongues... As he said, Paul said in the book of Romans, let everyone please be convinced in your own minds. Like I said, it's not in our tenets of faith for a reason. If tongues blesses you, be blessed in your speaking in tongues. If tongues does not bless you, then be blessed in your not speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman and does not force himself on anyone Please work out your own salvation (laughs) with fear and trembling, and let's not worry about what the other person is doing. And my final words to you on this topic. For those that do speak in tongues, I'll read the scripture. Since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of this congregation. For those that do not speak in tongues, I tell you, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is a river, not a lake. You will never be forced here. And for those of you that are uncomfortable with tongues, because I know you're out there, just know that God is bigger than your understanding. I want to share uh, a story from... Unrelated to tongues, but it's a very popular and famous story from the Gospels where uh, there was a man that was blind. There's, the electronics are now speaking in tongues. so, <laughs> Or maybe that was an insect speaking in tongues. Anybody have an interpretation of that? No. Um, so there was a blind man. And Yeshua, on the Sabbath, took some clay. And, breaking of the law according to the Pharisees' interpretation of Scripture. Healed the blind man on the Sabbath. Also against Scripture, according to the Pharisees' interpretation of Scripture. They thought they had it right. They knew the Scriptures really well. This is very important. The Pharisees thought they knew it all. They thought they had the interpretation of Torah spot on. And they saw Yeshua doing something that broke their interpretation. And they said, no, it cannot be because I don't see scripture this way. And they eventually went to his parents and to him. And the person said, I don't care what your interpretation of scripture is. I hear you. You're very studious. What you're saying makes sense. But all I know is once I was blind, now I see. In other words, my experience goes far beyond your interpretation. My experience outweighs your interpretation. Your interpretation is great. God bless you for being so smart. But once I was blind, now I see. (coughs) (laughs) The battery battery died. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. That if if it does not meet your smell test from Scripture, be open to God correcting that. The Holy Spirit is a river. Praise the Lord. And I will speak this over you in the words of our teacher, Moses, because it goes all the way back to him. Shut up. It goes all the way back to him. I will speak (laughs) these words over you. If only the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I speak that over every one of you right now. If only the Lord's people, all the Lord's people, if only all the Lord's people, were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I again repeat the words of our teacher, Moses, and I speak it over you. If only all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. May he put his spirit on you. And Paul said the same words. I'm telling you, Paul just copied Moses all the time. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues but even more that you would prophesy it's the same spirit that came from Moses. And I will conclude, I believe that God has a beautiful, unique expression of the Holy Spirit that is perfect for us at Mishkanthi. And let us, amen. as a body, as a family, unify together in what the Holy Spirit wants for us. Yes. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen.